would be from 48 yards out. And this this has been a year of Vinatieri and, and making some great kicks against the Raiders. Two of the greatest kicks that I've ever seen in my life. Here comes one of greater importance if he makes it. And it's right down the pipe. Well, what is up, Football Nation? Welcome to episode 18 of the Football Nation Presents, the Sportscasters Podcast. It is August 22nd, 2012, as we inch ever closer to the start of the National Football League regular season. Got a great show lined up for you today. Of course, we're going to start things out with three things in a couple minutes here. And our guest today is a really cool dude, Michael Holly. Uh, he is the... Well, co-host of The Big Show, which is the daytime drive show in Boston Sports Radio. He's also been on shows like Around the Horn. I'm sure you've seen him on there. And he has a great book called War Room, which is coming out on paperback soon. So we're going to talk to Michael Holly, get into some things about the Patriots. And Don, we're also going to talk a little bit about Pearl Jam and Nirvana with Mr. Holly. Indeed, yes. A debate that he was so anxious to have with us. I uh, want to thank our guest from last week, Jeff Duncan, uh, the beat reporter for the Saints at the New Orleans Time Picayune. want to thank Jeff for being on the show. And uh, also today, at the end of the show, we are going to go around Football Nation like we always do, pick out an article from the Football Nation website that we can talk a little bit about. But the article or the interview with Michael Holly is long and it's great. So we're going to try to keep our parts today tight, which means we're going to get right into three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other All right, I'm going to kick things off for us today. And in what is maybe not a huge surprise, the Miami Dolphins announced this week that Ryan Tannehill has won the starting quarterback job in Miami. He got a little bit lucky because I think if the David Gerrard injury didn't happen, there'd still be a, battle, be a battle going yeah. on there because they were really impressed with Gerrard at the beginning. And he seemed like he was taking the reins over there, but bad luck for him, a knee injury. And then I think when it came down to Tannehill and Moore, what happened is is when you have a guy that you have a first-round pick invested in, the non-first-round pick is going to need to go above and beyond and really go out and win blow? the job. Oh, right, right, the non He's got to blow right. him out, and I think that didn't happen here. I think it was pretty equal, so they just decided to go with Tannehill. Let him take his lumps. Let him take his lumps. Let him learn. Let him get more time at the end of camp and in these preseason games with the first team. So I think that is what happens. And what that means is that likely this year, you're going to have Tannehill starting in Miami, Luck starting in Indy, Griffin starting in Washington, and Whedon starting in Cleveland. So all four first-round picks that were quarterbacks this year should start. 
And let's not forget how big the quarterback class was last year. Cam Newton. I think Andy you got Dalton. Cam Newton. You got Andy Dalton starting for sure. I think that the Titans have announced Jay Locker yes. is going to be yep. their starter. Christian Ponder is going to start in Minnesota. So what you have here is maybe a little bit of a changing of the guard in quarterback. It's going to be a slow process, but these young rookie quarterbacks, and don't forget guys like Matt Stafford, who's maybe already established, but was a first overall pick, and Sam Bradford, who was a first overall pick, also going to be starting quarterbacks. The last four years, first down, the first overall pick in the draft has been a quarterback, and all four of those guys are going to be starting on opening day this year. Yeah. So quarterback position in the NFL is getting younger and younger, but Still, the mainstay is the Breeze, the Rogers, Brady, Brady, the Rodgers. Those are still the main men. But maybe in a couple of years, they'll get some challengers for these young bucks. Yeah, I feel almost like we're in a – I don't know when there was like a down era of quarterbacks, but I feel like we're in a, in a golden era potentially of quarterbacks. We've got five or so superstars and then a lot of youth to take their place. There's still a chance that Russell Wilson could be the starter even in Seattle. In Seattle yeah, he's going to start mean, this weekend. Could be more and more. So, yeah. The kids are out there. All right, Maurice Jones-Drew is Ugh. open to be traded, is what he said. And uh, hopefully, especially for any of you fantasy players out there that have drafts coming up, that means he's, just by saying that. Why would they trade him? Right. What for, value can they get for him right now? Nothing. The running, running back value is never there to begin with. Uh, but I, I feel like this is posturing on his part. He didn't like, love the comments that Shad Khan made about how his holdout is the least of their worries or just getting ready for the season, all that stuff. I I think he's going to find out that he's just going to have to go back to camp. So hopefully him saying he's ready to be traded is just him posturing and he's panicking. And hopefully for fantasy owners that have drafts coming up on Friday, maybe, like mine, uh, hopefully he'll get back to, get back to camp or at least – like Mike Wallace was kind of in the same boat last week, and he kind of blew his cover by going, "Yeah, I'll be back week one." Right. So basically, ineffectively, just saying that he was just going to skip the preseason. I think he said he might be back this weekend. Yeah, too. he's now he's going to report. Right. So uh, I think basically this has come down to one of three choices from East Jones Drew. One is he can just bail on the season. Yep. Sit out the whole season, but when the season ends, he's going to be in the same position of owing them two years. Uh, option two is he can go to camp now, get himself ready to play, and start the season on time with his teammates. Yep. Or option three is he can sit out until the very last minute, I think it's week 10, that you need to get credit for a season played on your contract. Like Vincent Jackson did. Like right. Vincent Jackson did. And then show up in the spring next year with a little more leverage because there's only one year left on the contract. I think that's about all he's got at this point. Yeah, he's got to he's got to do one of the above, and hopefully it's get back to camp because demanding to be traded isn't going to do anything. Trades in football don't happen, but he won't be traded. Our friend uh, Dave does the what what if L right or the N if L. Sorry, uh, I came up with three teams. Can you imagine if you went to Green Bay, New England, or Detroit? What that would do for those teams? Like I said, it won't happen. Uh, the last major running back I can think of that was traded was Clinton Portis, and that was probably. 10 years from now. So that's let's not use, even one of our stories. Let's but. use that trade as a benchmark. So Clinton Portis was traded for Champ, Champ Bailey. Bailey. So Which would who, never happen again. Who could... Let's take Green Bay first. 
And I'll, I'll propose some trades. You tell me if you do it. Uh, let's see. We'll trade you Randall Cobb for Maurice Jones-Drew. <laughs> that, I think Green Bay probably does that, maybe. But Does that, Jacksonville. Oh, boy. I mean, they're going to get nothing from him right now. I, I don't know. I guess it depends on how much they feel. I would say no. But it depends on, I guess, how serious they feel he is about sitting out the season. Charles Woodson for Jones-Drew. They might do that just based on... I mean, Champ Bailey was a better player at the time. But is Woodson a little bit too old to Ma- trade? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. That's the problem. I mean, even in that deal back then, it was a, a superstar for a superstar. But Champ Bailey was a more... That That's a more important position. And I don't. that's why I don't think you'll ever see a trade like that again. Right. The cornerback position is more important now than it was when that trade was made. I mean, if Jones Drew gets traded, realistically, it's probably for like a third-round pick. Or a fourth round pick. They're not going to give up much more for that. So that's why, like you said, it's it's not happening. No. All right, my number two story this week. We talked a little bit about it last week. Uh, since then, the Honey Badger is no longer looking into options to play in the lower levels of college football. He's decided he's going to enter drug rehab and skip football this season. His father made a really great point. He said, you know what? In a year, people are still going to be interested in my son playing football. But if we don't deal with this now and my son ends up playing in the NFL and he still has this baggage, he's going to ruin his career. He's going to ruin his life. life, So I think they're making a really smart decision here with with Mr. Matthew to take care of his demons as best they can now. Football will be there for him next year, maybe even a chance to play at LSU next year if he goes through all the proper channels and proves himself. And um, I want to wish him the best. Uh, I know this can be difficult for people. Hopefully he can get it all sorted out. He's a really fun player to play, and I hope that we haven't seen the last of him. Yeah, I don't have really anything to add to that. I, what his dad said is spot on. Get the get your life straightened out before football. Football will still be there. If you can't get your life straightened out, you might not have anything to go back to. Um, Roger Goodell, not welcome at Brother Jimmy's Barbecue. Oh, no. Brother Jimmy's Barbecue is a restaurant owned by three... Miami Hurricanes, Jonathan Vilma, John Beeson uh, from the Panthers, and DJ Williams of the Broncos. And they've hung signs with his picture that say, do not serve this man. Uh, Vilma obviously is... Where's the restaurant? Miami somewhere? I don't know. I should know that. But uh, What's it called? Brother Jimmy's Barbecue. But yes, Roger Goodell is not welcome there. Vilma obviously suing the league trying to counter his suspension and uh dj williams has also failed he's facing a six game suspension for failing two required drug tests so do you think that like when this announcement was made goodell was like oh damn it i need to cancel that reservation now i wanted some ribs i was all set to go to brother jimmy's barbecue and some pulled pork yeah now it's the plan is ruined uh, they got a beautiful website. They have locations. Looks like uh, it looks like they're in the New York City area. Really? Uh, they're all in Manhattan. There's a couple near Central Park. Is it a high class? Like, One on Eighth Avenue. You they, wouldn't expect with a name like Brother Jimmy's that it would be. They also have them in the Caribbean, San Juan, Caribbean, Saint Maritime, New Brunswick, and Miami. Those two are coming soon. So it sounds like a chain. I'm not sure exactly which one they own. But, uh, right? Do they own one franchise, or I wonder if the franchise appreciates that? I guess you can do what you want with it, right? 
I, I'd assume. Uh, let's see some of the items on the menu. It is get in a, Miami. Get a combo rib platter, Carolina pulled pork, uh, pulled chicken. Looks good. Sounds good. Yeah, I I'm glad for one. For once, I'm glad that I'm not Roger Goodell in case I'm in Miami and want to right. get some. What I think we're looking at here is a franchise. These three guys bought a franchise location in Miami, and they've decided that they will not be serving Mr. Goodell in that franchise. Now, the question is going to be, will the other locations rally and keep Goodell out? Like, if Goodell's in St. Juan, does he get served there? Yeah, imagine if it's his favorite restaurant. Just, like if we got banned from BDs, yeah, yeah, he goes from restaurant to restaurant, and he just sees his picture on the front saying "Do not serve this man." I mean, it'd be a rough day for Roger Goodell. If you want a great restaurant, though, go to www.gomango.com. <laughs> go Mango, Mango, I Mango. Think. Yep, you won't regret it. All right, my third thing: uh, Aaron Cromer, the offensive line and running backs coach of the New Orleans Saints, has been named the interim interim head coach. He'll take over for Joe Vitt when Joe Vitt leaves the team to serve his six-week uh, suspension. And this is right around basically what they've been hinting at. They didn't want it to be a coordinator because they wanted to kind of disturb the structure as little as possible. So the coordinators will remain the coordinator, and Aaron will move into the role as head coach, I'm sure with lots of help. Um, but I think we all know Drew Brees is the head coach of this team this year, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I think people are coming around to that idea. Fantasy players out there see his value hasn't really slipped, unless you consider dropping maybe behind Tom Brady as slipping, which I don't. They're pretty comparable as far as fantasy value, I think. Uh, just to say as a Saints fan, this sounds great. I mean, I'm, sure. I like the fact that the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator can concentrate on coordinating the offense and the defense. And uh, I don't think that the O-line or running backs coach is going to be missed all that terribly. He's right there. He can still help the guys if needed. And uh, I'm sure someone on quality control or on the staff that way uh, can step up and and take care of the O-line and the running backs. Yeah, and in hindsight, going way back, I'm not sure if it was on this podcast or our other podcast, but we talked about how Peyton had reached out to... Bill Parcells, I believe. Right, that's correct. This seems to make more sense. Reaching out to Bill Parcells seems like something you do. It would have been drastic. It's it's a big personality to have in there. A guy that has run a team a certain way. A guy that's been in the league and proven himself. This is more like, okay, you're going to keep my seat warm while I'm gone. You're going to keep Sean Payton's seat warm while you're gone. For this guy moving into this spot, maybe it gives him a chance to prove himself and catch on with a job somewhere else. But that's his best-case scenario. Peyton's coming in after his suspension and taking this job back. So. Right, absolutely. My last thing this week, we like to feel good stories. Lamar Woodley used to go to Saginaw High School, which recently... I used to go to different high schools with, with Lamar. We used to go to different high schools together. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I might have also uh, for a short period of time. He graduated in 2003, and his old high school had a budget uh, proposal that did not pass. And since it didn't pass, anyone that wanted to play high school sports was going to have to pay a $75 fee. Ouch. Woodley asked the school district, they said, well, what? how much, how much is that going to be in total? Like, 
if you take everyone that signs up for sports to $75, how much is that going to be? Came out to about $60,000. And he, in essence, said, don't charge him the fee. I'll cover it. So awesome. for his old high school, Lamar Woodley scratched a check for sixty grand to make sure all the kids there could continue to play high school sports for free. Nice job, and, Lamar. Uh, yeah, good for him. People in the article uh, were quoted as saying things like, he, he didn't do this to get his name in the paper. He, he genuinely is this type of guy and likes to help the, help his school. And obviously he's keeping tabs on what's going on in his old high school. So really, really good for Lamar Woodley. All right, that's going to do it for three things this week. What we're going to do right now is take a break and come back with the author of War Room, Michael S. Holly. All right, our next guest is from Akron, Ohio, and is a graduate of Point Park University. In 1993, while working for the Akron Beacon Journal, he was one of several writers who wrote about rapes relations in Northeast Ohio. The series, entitled A Question of Color, won the 1994 Pulitzer Prize for Meritorious Public Service. He spent most of 1997 through 2005 working for the Boston Globe before leaving to briefly work for the Chicago Tribune. In 2005, he began doing sports radio in Boston for WEEI. He is the co-host of The Big Show with former Boston Celtics commentator Glenn Ordway. The Big Show airs Monday through Friday from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. He has appeared on ESPN's Around the Horn and Fox Sports Net's IMAX program. He has authored several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Patriots Reign, Bill Belichick, The Coaches, and The Players Who Built a Championship. His most recent book, War Room, The Legacy of Bill Belichick and the Art of Building the Perfect Team, is available in bookstores everywhere and is soon to be released on paperback. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Michael Holly. What's up, Michael? And that is a great introduction. That, that is <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited. I'm humbled. We like to, you know, get our uh, get our guests like to make them, you know, feel at home, you know, feel like they're the most important person in the world. Because right now, to us, yeah, you're I the mean, most important in, in, person in, in the in, world. Even though, even though you really don't feel that way, but that, I think that's a good way to approach it. You know, uh, you, you, you're talking with Jim Trotter. You probably told Trotter, "Oh my God, Jim, you're, you're so great." You're my favorite sports writer. <laughs> my, and, then, and then the next person comes on, and I, I understand how the game works. That's fine. Well, you do the same thing on the big show, I'm sure, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but listen, I never said I wasn't a hypocrite. So okay. let's just put that out there. Yeah, hypocrisy. I do hypocrisy very well. I'm proud of it. You know, there's something I've been dying to ask you. I I got stuck for some. I got stuck having to do a live tweet on Monday night for the Patriots game. And within five minutes of ESPN's broadcast, I realized that it was the worst assignment ever because the Patriots had essentially decided to play nobody. And what I knew I was going to talk to you, I was, what I was curious about is how did that go over in New England with it being a home game? Were people kind of mad? Because, I mean, fans still pay full price to go see these preseason games and with – Gronk and Brady and the list of stars that the Patriots kept out was 
Did that get a negative response at all? You know what? That's a great question, and I think it's two separate issues. Number one, I've been talking about this for years, and every time I bring it up, um, and, and I've brought it up to Bob Kraft, and every time I bring it up, he always gives me the same answer. Issue number one, they are practice games. You can call them preseason games if you want. You can say they're part of the 20 games that the uh, NFL presents to the public, and when they go, if they go to an 18-game schedule, the two practice games, well, it, it goes from four practice games to two practice games, and it's all a 20-game block. I think that's bogus. It's BS. These are practice games that should not be part of any type of regular season pricing. Regular season pricing for tickets, for concessions, for parking should not be a part of the plan. That's issue number one. But I've said that to Bob Kraft and Bob Kraft has said, well, I can play the game with you. I can, I can push the cost of uh, regular season tickets up and push the price of preseason tickets down. And, I, and my response is always, stop making it the 20-game block. Right. There are 16 regular season games that matter. And there are four preseason games that do not matter to the fans. Now, maybe they matter to your general manager. Maybe they matter to your coach as they try to figure out who's going to be a part of the 53-man roster. But don't try to tell me as a fan that this is just like the regular season. That's number one. Number two, um, yes, a while ago people did get upset about it. But that was maybe when the Patriots had won eight championships or two. Right. But once they got to the point of you know winning three and four years, and that was the, the heyday, and 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 always being competitive, they kind of I think Patriots fans are kind of like uh, they, they look at Bill Belichick and the way he does business, and it's unconventional at times, and it's infuriating at times, and they accept it because it's Bill Belichick, and look what he's given the franchise. So if you're going to that game and you're fired up about it, and you're expecting to see Tom Brady for a couple of series, and then you hear that he's not playing, of course it's disappointing. But I guess Patriots loyal loyalists will flip around and say, well, look what happened to Michael Vick in that game. Right. Uh, Eagles fans were holding their breath because they thought he may have broken his ribs after taking a, a hell of a shot from uh, Jermaine Cunningham. So I guess it's just a matter of, what you're used to, and Patriots fans are used to it by now. You know, I would just say one more thing to uh, Mr. Kraft, if you get the chance next time you talk to him about this. It's very interesting to me how we're forced, and it's the same way here in Buffalo with the Bills. They, If you're going to buy season tickets, you have to buy the preseason games. But the playoff games aren't included, and when it comes time to pay for those playoff games, which hasn't happened in Buffalo in a long time, I can tell you that much, that price suddenly goes up and up and up a bit. So why is it that, you know, the preseason games are treated the same as regular season games, but these playoff games are treated as more than the regular season games, if you know what I mean. Uh, Terrific, terrific point. And I guess a compromise, if they wanted to do it, and I wouldn't be crazy about it because you don't know you don't know what your team is going to do. But for example, if uh, at the beginning of the season they said, "Look, you are you're paying for eight home games, 
And in Buffalo, you know, maybe it's really seven. I mean, who, yep. who's going to you know, schlep up to Toronto? I don't know. No, those aren't but, included in the ticket prices. Yeah, yeah. So say you're, you're paying for X amount of home games in a regular season, and up front uh, we get to hold your playoff money. And if we don't make the playoffs, uh, we will refund that money back to you. But we get a chance to hold it for at least one home playoff game. And then uh, after that, hey, look, if they make it to the divisional round or the conference championship game and you're playing at home, maybe you raise the prices then. I don't know. But I think that would be that would be more sensible to make it a block of regular season and playoffs that you got to pay for right. up front instead of preseason and regular season. And by the way, if, if, my, if my memory is all right here, and that's questionable, <laughs> Last time the Buffalo Bills were in the playoffs was the what, Music Music City Miracle? That is correct. Yeah. Yep. Oh, come on now. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I know. That's, it's humiliating. I mean, I'm saying, oh, yeah, the Patriots and the Patriots have dominated the division, but still, still, come on. You gotta make. You gotta be able to slip into a wild card spot. Yeah, well, they almost did one day. They had a home game against a Steelers team that had nothing to play for, and literally had an unknown Backups. running back named Willie Parker play his basically first start in the NFL, and the Bills got torched and didn't make it that year either. Oh. Yeah, so they're a joke. They're a joke. But anyway. I want to talk to you a little bit about let's let's get on the field. Let's talk a little bit about the Patriots. It's an interesting year in Boston because the Red Sox aren't having a very good season. So right away, right from the start of September, the Patriots have a chance to own the city. And I'm just curious, what are the expectations for this team after the off season, the draft, free agency? I'm sure the expectations are off the charts, correct? Well, yes. Well, let, let's just start off with this. The Patriots own the town now. I don't know if they'll own the town for the next 10 years. I don't know if they'll own the town for the next five years. But it's Patriots won, it, clearly. And uh, part of that is the popularity of football, not just in New England, but nationwide, and even worldwide, if you want to you know, think about some of the games that are happening in London, and, and they've talked about you know the NFL's popularity in Israel, for example. That's part of it. And the other part is, you know, to be more specific to New England, is just the unlikability and the incompetence of the Red Sox. I mean, the Red Sox are not only a bad team, and they've been a bad team since September of 2011, uh, they at times act like a bad organization. Uh, it's comical. It's a circus. And so you always say uh, bad things happen to bad teams. Well, bad things happen to bad organizations, too. I mean, just for example, I'll get to the Patriots, but let me, allow me to unburden myself. I like uh, it. Let's go, yeah. Uh, Carl Crawford. Carl Crawford has been saying for about a month and a half, you know, I'm going to need Tommy John surgery. I went to see Dr. James Andrews, who knows a little something about Tommy John surgery. Right. I went to see him, and he told me that it's just a matter of time that, I, that I'm going to need this surgery. And I, I think I'd like to get it done, but the Red Sox want me out there. Well, wait a minute. That was, that was like eight weeks ago, six to eight weeks ago. And finally, 
Tuesday, yesterday, the Red Sox announced that Carl Crawford is going to have Tommy John surgery on Thursday. So they just, they're stupid. I mean, they just do stupid things. Right. Uh, they, they don't know how to communicate. Uh, the general manager didn't hire the manager. The manager didn't hire his own coaches. The players get a chance to talk to ownership about getting rid of the manager. It's a mess. So back to your question, uh, what are the expectations of the Patriots? Well, the Patriots are expected to be the anti-Red Sox, one. And then two, once you win those championships, and we were talking about this earlier, once you win those championships, it really sets up a bar that is almost impossible to reach on a yearly basis. Patriots lost the Super Bowl last year. That's a disappointing season to Patriots fans. Uh, to Buffalo fans, losing the Super Bowl, okay, all right, yeah, you know, you've done that before. You, got it, you did it a long time ago, but that would be seen as progress. So the expectation for the Patriots is to get to the Super Bowl and win it. And that's the expectation. I think that's a, it's going to be that until uh, Tom Brady and or uh, Bill Belichick retire. You know, it seems to me that year after year, while watching the draft, I keep saying to myself, are the Patriots ever going to pick anyone? It seems like they just keep moving back and back and back and back. But this year, they picked some guys, and you've probably seen more of them than I have, but Chandler Jones looks like he is some kind of stud, and Dante Hightower was quite a player at at Alabama. Is this the best first round that the Patriots have had in a while? I mean, what's your opinion so far on the two first round picks and how they've looked in camp? Well, it's always dangerous to get into those first round picks before they play a game, but I will say this, and your observation is a good one. They've taken a different approach than they have in the past, and I think part of the reason is they've kind of relaxed some of their restrictions on what they need a defensive end to be or what they need a linebacker to be. I mean, for many years, everybody could see that they were getting older at linebacker and they didn't draft linebackers. Uh, one year they drafted a linebacker in the fifth round and he didn't even make the team, but you had Teddy Bruski in there and he was getting older and you had Mike Vrabel in there and he's getting older uh, they would just bring in these veteran linebackers, you know, Chad Brown, on and on, all these guys who had played because they had such a narrow window of what it took to be a, a linebacker for Bill Belichick in a 3-4 system and what it took to be a defensive end. They didn't like the 265, 270-pound defensive ends. You know, they liked their defensive ends to be 300 pounds, like Ty Warren and Richard Seymour. They liked their linebackers to be 255, 260. So... I think now that they've at least gone 50-50 between 3-4 and 4-3, they are more open to some of the guys that they wouldn't have drafted, frankly, five years ago. So we'll see how that turns out. But I think they're going to have a little different scheme. You saw it a bit last year. It uh, didn't work out in the secondary because they didn't have true secondary people back there. They had a, a wide receiver mm-hmm. trying to play in the secondary, and they had a uh, a career uh, special teamer trying to play in the secondary. But I think you're going to see a more aggressive Patriots approach when in the past they have been more, uh, they've been these brawny guys who just 
moving for you to get into their clutches and they just, they just pound the hell out of you. Now, I think you're going to see some teams uh, who are going to be surprised to see New England actually flying to the football. Now, we talked about how for Patriots fans, it's kind of to the point where it's Super Bowl or bust. If the Patriots didn't achieve their goals this year, what Achilles tendon of the team would we point to and say that was what held them back from achieving their goals? Now, yeah, now I've missed the last part. If, if, if they don't make their goal, if they don't achieve their goal, what will be the problem? Yeah, like what, what, what could stop them? What, what are the, it's, it's kind of a long, tricky way of saying what are the weaknesses of this team? Well, I, 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 think, uh, I think it's the same issue that has been before. Uh, what will stop them is uh, a bad defense. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty simple. And it, there, there's nothing. There's really nothing else. It really does come down to the defense. You look at the division. The Patriots should be based on their division. And I know you know divisional opponents. They know you better than anybody else. Any given Sunday and all the cliches, I know how that's supposed to work. But let's look at it. I mean, let's, just, let's be realistic. Miami, with a rookie quarterback and a very underwhelming roster, especially on offense, is not going to be a problem for the Patriots. Uh, the Jets, surprisingly, won't be a problem for the Patriots. It looks like they've gotten worse. And Buffalo even though I like the sizzle of the big names, you know, let's, let's face it, you know, Buffalo has beaten the Patriots twice uh, in the last nine years. Right. So, at the very least, you, you're thinking about winning the division. You know you're going to win the division. I mean, it will be uh, an upset of epic proportions if the Patriots don't win the division. And because of their schedule and because of their division, they should probably... Uh, get a bye, there'll be a, a you know one or two seed in the playoffs. So you're already, this is how Patriots fans think. And this is why uh, people around the country uh, are, are sometimes uh, annoyed by Patriots fans. But the, the fact is, Patriots fans think this way. You're at least in a divisional round, and you should probably be playing for the conference championship again. So if that, if that doesn't happen, it will be because the defense broke down. Or... You know, Tom Brady gets hurt like he did in 2008. Right. Injury. But short of, short of some catastrophic injury, uh, it'll be the defense. You know, I'm sitting about 15 minutes away from a place called the Amherst Pepsi Center. Actually, I think they changed the corporate sponsor. It's called the Northtown Center now. And one day I was just sitting in the bleachers watching a friend play softball, and this muscle-bound freak without a T-shirt came up and hit the ball oh, I don't know, 475 feet. And I was like, what the hell just happened? And they're like, oh, that's uh, Rob Gronkowski. He's going to play for the Patriots this year. Uh, What do you guys think? What kind of – I mean, Gronkowski's clearly – you know, he he ends up on Twitter with his jersey on a porn star and is in clubs (laughs) the night they get released. And he's a character, but how does he play in in New England? What what kind of – what kind of a guy is he out there? What do people think of uh, our boy Gronkowski out in Boston? Oh, people love him. Uh, people love Gronkowski because, uh, well, for for the obvious reason is the production. I mean, he's uh, he's a beast. He's uh, a force. 
uh, at the tight end position. And if if people don't already consider him the best tight end in football, maybe they do after after this year. He keeps this up. I mean, his first two years have been incredible. But the other part, the other reason people like him so much is because the Patriots have worked so hard at limiting personalities. They don't want you to have too much of a personality. And he's got one. You know, he's like, uh, he comes off as every man. He comes off as just kind of an all-shucks party guy. Yet he also produces. And so if you can do both, that's gold. Now, what New England fans hate is somebody who talks a lot and appears to be having a good time, yet is not productive, a la Josh Beckett for the Red Sox. Right. So, yeah, Rob Gronkowski right now uh, can, can do no wrong in New England. The first guests are here with Michael Holly, who you can follow on Twitter, although he doesn't use it very much, uh, <laughs> at Michael S. Holly. I mentioned the last time we talked to you, we talked a lot about your book, War Room, The Legacy of Bill Belichick and the Art of Building the Perfect Team. It's a great book. I really, really honestly enjoyed it, not just saying that. And the book's going to be available on paperback in a couple weeks here. And I guess I'm just curious, uh, what was your strategy for this paperback? Did you change anything? Did you add any new chapters? Or did you really just present the book in different packaging for a lower price and hope some more people will discover it? Well, I, I, I got to tell you this, uh, and I will answer the question, but I just hope that the next question, that your next question, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give you a, I'm going to give you a hint of what your next question should be, and it has nothing to do with football or my book or sports. Okay. It has to do with an argument we had in the past. <laughs> I got it. I know what it is. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, that's we'll do I'm that next. And we have got to revisit that with your next question. But to answer your question about the paperback, sure, uh, I just had... I just had some sent to my house. It looks incredible. I'm very excited about it. And uh, I did add some new material to it. I was able to update it because some things happened. I mean, this book was, uh, this book was crazy. Uh, like how some of the, some of the principles and just some of the, and some of the, uh, for lack of a better phrase, some of the you know, peripheral characters written about in the book, they made news. For example, I'm writing about the Falcons and how Thomas Dimitrov has some people working for him who really have the ability to do some great things in football. They could lead their own organizations. And then, you know, Les Need, who worked for the Falcons, gets the general manager's job in St. Louis. And part of the reason he got the general manager's job in St. Louis is that the owner of the Rams, Stan Kroenke, read the book. He read War Room. (laughs) And was raving about it, wow. and he wanted to uh, he wanted to know more about the Patriots culture. So when Les Snead goes in for his interview with the Rams, he's talking about War Room with the owner. I mean, it was just in, it was incredible. Another guy uh, I, I wrote about uh, in, the, in the book uh, became the general manager of uh, the Chicago Bears. Um, wrote about Todd Haley and Scott Pioli and their relationship 
and then Todd Haley is fired. <laughs> and so Fioli winds up giving the head coaching job to Romeo Cornell, who, of course, is a part of the Belichick tree. Right. It was just uh, another guy, Jason Light, uh, Patriots, scout Patriots executive. He's up for the Bears job, too, and he loses the Bears job because another, you know, two times, three times removed uh, Patriots disciple got the job. I mean, it, it really was incredible. So I, I, I had to update the book because so many things were happening, and of, happening, and of course, uh, the Patriots went to the Super Bowl and lost it. So I had to reflect that, too. So check it out. Uh, I, I think if you didn't read it when it was out in hardcover, well, you got to read it now. Uh, it's really a good, even if you're not a Patriots fan, even if you despise the Patriots, uh, you are able to see up close three NFL franchises operating and had some access and got into some draft rooms. And you'll learn something. Even if you just learn three things, you'll learn three things that you didn't know before. Now, ask me that question. All right, the main event. The main event of this interview is who is better, Don? Thoroughly wonderful show. Who's better? World famous hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get to it. Oh, see, see, you, you, it worked so well in rehearsal. You thought you had a nice little thing worked out there. Now it's just down. <laughs> so we have Nirvana in one corner. And in the other corner, we have. Pearl Jam. Well, I think the way it came up last time is when you started on the show, you said, you know what, uh, it's been a great day because I heard some Nirvana on the radio, and we were kind of talking about, you know, what song you heard, I think it ended up being Lithium, and um, I said, well, you know, we like Nirvana, we're Nirvana fans, but really, we're huge Pearl Jam fans, between the two of us, myself and Don, we've been to well over 100 Pearl Jam concerts, uh, and we're huge Pearl Jam guys, and to us, really, you can say anybody is second to none to us to Pearl Jam. So if you want to take, and I love, hey, hey, listen, listen, man, I love Pearl Jam. You don't understand. I love, I love Eddie. I mean, I always tell people, you want to talk about great poets. There's Langston Hughes. <laughs> there's Shakespeare. There's Bob Marley. There's Eddie Vedder. I yes. mean, come on. I yes. mean, Eddie Vedder. There's, there's, there's Robert Frost and Robert Pinsky and Eddie Vedder. <laughs> I love Eddie, but I think it's totally unfair. You can't, you can't compare a band that has been in now. They did Pearl Jam 20. That was, what, a couple years ago? Yep. A year ago? Two years ago. Or, no, it was la- yeah, so, two summers ago. Right. Okay, so they've been around for 22 years. Yeah. How can you compare 22 years, a 22-year body of work to a, a band and a man who who lost his life at 27? I mean, he has so much. Who knows what he would have been? I mean, Kurt Cobain could have, he could have ventured into hip-hop. He could have ventured into <laughs> ballads. I don't know. I just think it is very difficult. That's why it's an impossible argument, but a fun argument. 
Yeah, I think what I would just say is this. I'd say that in the 90s, the early 90s, Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder especially, and Nirvana, Kurt Cobain especially, had a lot of challenges and a lot of things that they needed to work through. Pearl Jam and Vedder worked through them. Nirvana couldn't. And I think that that just gives them the edge. I mean... I think that's a very fair point. Because if you have the opportunity, even before you know, and obviously nobody knows when when tragedy is going to strike, but in your moment, when you are in your prime and you're in your element and you still are having problems and you can't work things out, well... That is a, that's a strike against you because there is something to be said for working through adversity as a group. And one thing that brings any organization down, whether you're talking about a sports team or you're talking about uh, a musical group, is just ego and and uh, a lack of uh, a, a lack of rationality. I mean, you know, not being able to just problem solve. So, I think. I think you're right. You got to give, you got to give Pearl Jam the edge there. But one thing I say about both of these groups is that their their music is timeless. You can put on something from 1993, whether it's Pearl Jam or Nirvana. You put it on from 1993, it still kicks. It's yep. still good. And there's music I listened to when I was like 17 or 18, and I thought it was great at the time. And I listen to it now, and it's crap. Or even if it's even if it's so good now, it's not timeless. It sounds dated. These bands don't sound dated, even if you listen to their stuff from the early 90s. So that's a sign of greatness. They're both great, but I'm giving you a hard time. Maybe you win this argument. You win this one. <laughs> but, but let me go back to the lab and work on some other arguments, and then when you call me back, we'll have some other discussion about some other uh, debate. Sounds great, but you know, we, like I told you, we travel for a lot of Pearl Jam shows, and Boston is usually a city that we put on our itinerary. So next summer, Pearl Jam is supposed to play a lot of shows in the United States. They play one or two in Boston. You going to go to one with us? Yes. Okay. Yes. Mark it down. All right, we're going to mark it down. Uh, Michael Holly, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I mentioned the Twitter, it's at Michael S. Holly. The book is War Room, coming out on paperback here in the next little bit. And uh, the season's starting soon, so we'll definitely be in touch. We can talk a little bit more Patriots football and some kind of crazy fun argument to end it with. Uh, Thank you very much for doing this with us. Hey, I appreciate it. Uh, I look forward to the next time. Thanks, man. All right, I want to thank Michael S. Holly for having a lot of fun with us on the podcast today. I don't know if that's the best interview we've ever had on the show, but it might be the fun, the most fun that we've ever had in terms of an interview on the show. Yeah, a lot of times the guys will tend to stick right right to football, but he went to baseball, he went to music. So yeah, yeah, we had a lot of fun doing that, thanks to Michael Holly. I know that last week I had said that we would be back this week with Kenny Albert, and I made that assumption because Kenny Albert is really a good friend to our podcasts. And unfortunately, well, fortunately for Kenny, he got the chance to go to the beach for a few days and spend some time (laughs) with his family. And I can't begrudge that of him, but Kenny's going to make it up to us and he'll be on this show real soon. I promise you that much. So um, one other thing I want to mention is don't forget, you can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. 
Follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters and also at FBall Nation. Don't forget to go to www.sports-casters.com and check out our other show featuring interviews this week with Jane Levy, Jeff Perlman, and Jim Trotter. Um, that leads us to this week on Football Nation. And, Don, you could kick us off. My article this week that I enjoyed was an article by Lucas Carr, a Green Bay Packer fan, as you could tell from his icon. And he talks about how Maurice Jones-Drew is the perfect solution for Green Bay. And that was one of the teams I happened to mention off the top. It would be a perfect fit, so I totally agree. Uh, it might be what pushes them over the top. I mean, they went 15-1 and as it is last year. But maybe having a stud running back could reduce the hits on Rodgers. And just having a guy there that's better than Starks and uh, whoever else. Cedric Benson, who's there right now. So I do agree. Here's the deal he proposes that Green Bay sends to the Jaguars. Okay. They send James Starks, James Jones, their 2013 first-round pick, and 2014 second-round pick. I don't think if they There's send no way that, any NFL team is offering that much for a holdout. Khan could not run to his phone fast enough if that was really the deal they oh sent. Oh, my God, yeah. Off the air... Before we got ready for this segment, I asked Steve, I said, how much do you think the NFL is a win-now league? Because, like, in hockey, you'll see teams dump talent and draft picks, dump yum talent and draft picks to get in uh, a veteran superstar that might not have as many years left and they might give up a lot in the future, but they'll do it to win now. Football, you really don't see that happen, and that's what this move represents, that Green Bay would be really, really going for it. They value first-round picks so much in the NFL that I could I could never see this happening. Uh, his last line, which is a bit of a homer line, but uh, I agreed to it to an extent, says this deal nearly hands the Lombardi Trophy to Green Bay, which of course is why I like it. I agree that it would make their offense probably yeah, the best. What in do the they league. lose this year? They lose what their James Starks, who is questionable, round back. James or Jones is a second or third or fourth wide receiver. Yeah, he's pretty deep on their depth. And then chart. a couple draft picks? Right. So, I mean, this goes for it now. They severely upgrade right away. Doesn't help their defense, which wasn't always great last year. But I just I agree with the idea to some extent. And I guess maybe the idea would be that their first round pick is going to be hopefully the 32nd pick in the draft. But that said, this will never ever happen. And think about this. The focus of the Green Bay offense right now is Aaron Rodgers. Last year, the focus of the Jacksonville Jaguars offense was Maurice Jones-Drew. What kind of middle ground could they find if those two guys were suddenly put together? He does point out that the Jaguars would have Rashad Jennings, who had 5.5 yards per carry last year, so he was impressive. But that's I mean, that's exactly what the Jaguars are thinking right now is that they can plug in Rashad Jennings and probably not miss a ton. But uh, MJD is an avid fantasy player. I think he's overvaluing himself a little bit here, maybe putting a fantasy value on his real value. And I don't think that league, that owners or general managers in the NFL would do the same thing. Go to camp. Jones, Drew. Yeah, just just go to camp. You're, you're one of the more likable players in the league. I know they're doing you wrong to some extent. Forte battled it out, and he did face an injury last year, but he got paid this year. Go to camp. Try to try to make your money 
in a bonus at the end. Hopefully they'll, the Jags will do the right thing by you. All right, one series of articles that has popped around Football Nation in the last uh, couple of weeks or so is the best and worst case scenario for each NFL team. Whatever your favorite team is, there's a very good chance that there's an article out there that says whatever the author who wrote the piece thinks is the best and worst case scenario for your season. I picked the Saints one out being a Saints fan. It was written by James Summerlin. And he says the best case scenario for the Saints is an NFC Championship game appearance. And I'm going to disagree with that for one reason. Where's this game being played? Because if the Saints are playing the NFC Championship game at home, their best case for this season is a Super Bowl appearance. Because they're not losing an NFC Championship game at home today, tomorrow, next week, or ever. Uh, so I disagree a little bit there. I don't know why you would go all the way to NFC Championship game and not say that the potential would be Super Bowl. And if you're in an NFC Championship game, even if it's on the road, they're going to have a chance to win that game. So come on. If you're going that far, go to the next level. I think the best case scenario for the Saints is another appearance in the Super Bowl. I think the he says the worst case scenario for the Saints is a 6-10 and record. That would be... That would be very miserable. That would definitely be bad and would qualify for worst-case <laughs> scenario. Worst. Yep. Uh, I think that they have too much talent to be that bad. I think the worst-case scenario for the Saints this year is about a 9-7 and seven record and just missing out on the playoffs. They do have that division where, I guess, in the worst-case scenario... Atlanta's you, good. You could see Atlanta... And Carolina's better. I mean, it's very easy to see Atlanta winning that division. Sure. Um, Carolina's improving. You got to figure better. maybe Tampa They're better. stays healthier and they have Vincent Jackson. So maybe that's where his worst case scenario come from comes from. But uh, there's too much talent on the Saints. I would roster so to be too. six and ten, and that's especially if you're doing this without saying injuries. Like he didn't write in his paragraph that Drew Brees breaks his leg and the best they can do is six and ten with Chase Daniel. So if you're throwing injuries out of it, which you kind of have to in a thing like this, because everyone's going to have injuries and trying to predict them is pointless. Who wrote that article? Uh, James Summerlin. Okay, I'm looking at Jeff Hunter's version of the same article. And he has the Bills' best-case scenario. He has it broken up by team and something else, right? right? He has their best-case scenario as 12-4 and four and winning the division. Wow. I, I mean, obviously I would take that. I, I don't see that happening. And he points to the same thing I look at, and if you look at the Bills' schedule, it's such, it seems like a cakewalk of a schedule. That said, teams, someone goes worse to first every year, so it's hard to put too much stock into how bad these teams looked last year. The beginning of the preseason, even everybody probably looked at that indie game and thought, starting a rookie quarterback, that's a win for the Bills. Now maybe people don't think that because of uh, how luck looks. The flip side, though, he has the the worst case scenario for the Bills is four and twelve. I'd be shocked that they go such four a huge and 12. gap. Uh, if that would be terrible, because even as he says, be four and twelve won't be the last place team, so you wouldn't even get Barkley. Probably, maybe not Landry right. Jones either. Yeah. Uh, there's no way. There's no way they go four and twelve. After I know the, it's worst case scenario, but after no the way. Bills off season. The worst case scenario for them is any record worse than last year's. I would argue the worst. They have to progress. As a Bills fan, I would argue the worst case scenario for the Bills is to go seven and nine. 
if if you're going to be bad, Ryan Fitzpatrick might as well get hurt in game one, and you might as well go two and fourteen. If you're going to be good, go ten and six to make the playoffs. I mean, this is the year to do it. The Jets, the Jets look like they're vulnerable. super down. Yep, they're Miami vulnerable. starting a rookie. The Patriots are the Patriots, so you're going to probably have to fight for a wild card spot. But so go ten it. and six and get into the wild card game. But absolutely, don't go seven and nine again. It's it's maddening as a Bills fan that they've middled for so long. All right, interesting debate. If you want to email us the best case and worst case scenario for your team, feel f- feel free to do so, or the sportscasters at gmail.com. I want to thank Michael Holly for being on the show. We'll see you next week, just two weeks away from the start of the NFL season. Let's go to California. Spend my days with a woman unkind Smoke my stuff and drink